This morning, uh, I have the privilege of continuing a conversation that we've been in, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And uh, in this quest, we really want to figure out what it looks like to live our lives with a little more wisdom. We want to learn what it looks like to live life with a little more wisdom. And uh, for those of you who've been here with us, you know this, but it bears repeating. When we talk about wisdom, we are simply speaking about the art of making life's best decisions in the moment. The art of making life's best decisions In the moment, when we talk about wisdom, we're not talking about how much you know, because you can know a whole lot of stuff, but have no idea how to apply that and make good decisions in the moment. We're not talking about your IQ or how intelligent you are, because you know some of the smartest people in some of the dumbest relationships, it is not so much about your IQ, your intelligence level. You know some of the most brilliant financial minds who have made moral messes of their lives, because it's not so much about how skilled you are in a particular art of living. It's about how do you make life's best choices in the moment. And it doesn't really matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're an adult or you're a kid. So good to have you in the room, kids, by the way. You want to learn to make life's best choices in the moment because a series of those choices is what leads us down the path towards fullness of life and freedom from regret. If you have any interest in living life fully as God designed and desired you to live, and if you have any desire to impact the world around you most meaningfully, and if you have any desire to live a life that doesn't look back and say, I wish I'd done that differently, I wish I'd done this instead, you want to grow in what wisdom looks like. The art of making life's best choices in the moment. And this morning, we want to talk particularly about what it looks like to be wise with our words. More specifically, what wisdom looks like when it comes to how we respond with our words. Um, I don't know why you know, we ended up talking about this because I didn't enjoy having to figure out some of the ways in which I need to um, grow in this particular regard. But we want to talk about how we respond with our words. If you want to know, am I wise? How do you respond With your words, that is going to be a great measure of your wisdom. How do you respond with your words? Um, Solomon says, if if you take time to weigh your words before you speak your words, then you are wise. And not only are you wise... But you are going to see doors continue to open towards a full life. If, on the other hand, you tend to just let out what you're feeling the moment you're feeling it, you are not wise and your words will ruin your life. 
The way you respond with words will ruin your life. You are not going to get to the place where you become the version that God designed and desires you to be. Having the most beautiful impact on your world. If you have a copy of the Bible, uh, you can turn on or turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Actually, Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, good news. We're going to have the verses appear on the screen in just a few moments. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, we would love to get a physical copy of the Bible into your hands. It is the word of the living God and would love for you to have a copy that you can feel with your hands. So after the service, you can stop anyone who looks like remotely official wearing a nape tag and ask for... A Bible. If you find one lying around, just take it. Like what's ours is is yours. Just change the name on the inside. Um, not the name of Jesus, though. But just if there's a written name um, in there. Proverbs chapter thirteen, and we're going to look at verse number three. I like how Taylor said a few weeks ago. Proverbs is like Solomon's Twitter account. So we are going to look at. Um, one of his tweets, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. Ruin. Solomon is describing two different kinds of people, a wise person and an unwise person. The wise person whose life is rich with meaning and full of significance. The foolish person whose life is ruined relationships and missed opportunities. And the difference is how they respond with their words. I wonder which one are you? And in which direction is your life moving on account of? Your words. Uh, when he describes the foolish person, he, he uses the word rash. They are rash with their words. Uh, they just tend to let the words fly free. By the way, I thought this was really interesting um, for somebody um, who grew up in the church. And when I think back to my upbringing in the church, and I think back to um, even the home in which I I grew up in, this was a really interesting thing to me. Uh, I grew up in a home in which um, the words you used were the most important thing, right? Vocabulary was the Emphasis, and that was true in the church. Like, um, are those good words? Are those gross words? Is that a Christian word? Is that a cuss word? And that was all of the emphasis, right? Like, you said but instead of bottom. Mm-mm-mm. Right, and we're arguing like, no, 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 I said shoot, and dang, I said, oh, phew, I thought you said something else. You're good, you're good, right? Good, if you can do the Christian cussing, then you're fine, right? 
Because it was all about vocabulary, all about the words you used. Is that a good word? Is that a bad word? And Solomon says, let me tell you something about wisdom. It's not so much the emphasis on the word you use. It's not so much whether or not the word is rude. It's whether or not your words are rash. Really interesting. Now, hey, don't take that to mean, and we're into church, and they gave us a green light to use rude words. That's not the point. The point is Solomon's emphasis is actually about the rashness of words more than it is about the rudeness of words, which I found really interesting considering my background. You know you are unwise because you are rash with your words. You rush to react with your words before you have time to reflect on those words. It's really the idea of just recklessly letting whatever I think or feel in the moment come out of my mouth. That is rash. When my words are quick reactions without careful reflection. If you are rash with your words, according to Solomon, you are unwise and you are ruining your life. And so I'm just asking, are you wise with your words? Do you tend to be rash or do you tend to be in any way reflective? Are you rash with your words? Okay. If that's a difficult question to answer, that might be because you are thinking about your cutest and your most composed moments in life. So let me help. Um, if you want to know if you are rash with your words, think about the way you react with your words in moments of passion. Meaning when your emotions are charged. How are your words then when you're feeling emotionally charged? I mean, you really, really want to do it and all your friends are doing it. So you ask your parents, can I do it? And your parents say, nope. And now you're feeling emotionally charged. And your parents aren't the cool parents that every other parents, every other kid seems to have. You are frustrated. Kids, what do your words sound like then? That's when you get to know if you are rash with your, with your words. Or hubby comes home um, and uh, decides that he's going to tease you. Uh, about your outfit and the way it's mismatched in some way or another. What he doesn't know is that um, you skipped your afternoon uh, snack. So your sugar levels are kind of teetering, right? And the question is when Hangrilla emerges... What do the words sound like then? Or as a parent, I mean, you've told your kids 15 times to pick that thing up from the stairs. And on the 16th time, you, tr you trip over it. 
emotions are charged. Mom, dad, what do your words sound like? Then. Or maybe even in man, a more exciting moment. I mean, you, you like her. You think she's cute and uh, she may be interested, right? And so now everything in you wants to, to seal the deal. Like what kinds of things do you say? And you start to promise and, and pretend and, and say things really rash and really quickly to make sure that you get whatever the thing is that you want. How do you react and respond with your words when the... Emotions are charged in those moments of passion. When you didn't sleep very well, so you're tired. And then there's all of this noise in the house before your alarm goes off. So you have to get up and go figure out what happened. What do your words reveal then? Oh, there's another news article about the critical race theory. And so now you're triggered. Your emotions are high. What kinds of things emerge? You come home and your boss has not been particularly sweet to you on that day. And you just need to vent emotionally high. What do your words reveal? Do they tend to be rash in those particular moments? Or when... For some of you, you get emotionally charged with silence. You're standing and talking to somebody and there's a little bit of silence and you're like, oh, this is awkward. Got to fill the space. Got to fill the space, right? What kinds of things fill the space then? Or you got caught. You thought no one knew about what you were doing and then you got caught and confronted and now you're feeling emotionally charged. What do your words sound like then? You don't really know how rash you are with your words until you're frustrated, until you're tired, until you're upset or until you're really, really excited and you want to make sure that something happens. Solomon says, listen, if you respond rashly in those emotionally charged moments, you are not wise. And though it might not happen right away, and though it may not happen in obvious ways, if that's how you tend to respond, you are ruining your life. Man, I was thinking about this, and, and two Old Testament stories um, came to, to mind. Um, two individuals who ruined their lives with rash words. Um, one by the name of Jephthah, the other by the name of Esau. Uh, uh, Jephthah was a, a military warrior who had gotten driven out of his, um, his hometown for something he, he didn't do. And at some point, his people came to find him on the outskirts, and they begged him to come back and help lead them in a war against a king that was coming after them. And they said to Jephthah, please come back and please lead us. And if you do, we will put you in charge of our people. Jephthah's like, promise? They're like, we promise. That sounded appealing to Jephthah, so he went back with them. And so at first, he tries to negotiate with the, uh, the Ammonite king to try and avoid a war. The Ammonite king's not having it, and he's coming after them. So now Jephthah has to go to war. His emotions are charged, as you can imagine, because there is so much at stake. Not just the survival of his people, but for him, this promotion to be put in charge. And so in this moment of anxiousness, he speaks. And it's really interesting that God is with him in this war. 
But in this emotionally heightened state, he speaks rashly. And this is what he did. This is what he said. Judges chapter 11, verse 29. Check this out. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from there, he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He swore to the Lord. If you, God, give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. That's rash emotionally charged moments and he just lets these words out he wants something so badly that he bargains with this vow now did he mean what he said in this rash moment yeah he meant what he said was he keeping it real keeping it 100 yeah he was But this was rash. Any guesses what happened, by the way? I'll tell you. God said, okay. Jephthah demolished the Ammonites. And then the ruin of his life. Verse 34. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzvah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of timbrels. She was an only child, except for her he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, my girl, you've brought me down and I'm devastated. Another rash comment, frankly, if you ask me. I've made a vow to the Lord that cannot be reversed. Tragedy in this story. And the tragedy in this story is these rash words that Jephthah spoke in this emotionally charged moment that ended up destroying his his world. And the fact that those words were completely unnecessary. The spirit was on him. The victory was his. That did not need to be said at all. I also thought it was interesting, by the way. God didn't seem to hold Jephthah responsible for what he thought. Didn't seem to hold him responsible for what he felt in this heated moment. It was what he chose to speak. What he let out of his mouth and rashly said. I also thought it was interesting that his words weren't bad words. They weren't rude words. They weren't cuss words. That's not what ruined his life. It was rash words. That destroyed things for him in the most heartbreaking way. I mean, I don't know. What did Jephthah, when he said this, what did he think would be the first thing to run out and meet him when he got home from being gone a while? 
Exactly. He didn't think very much. That's the point. He just reacted without thinking things through. Um, in the book of Genesis, there's a story of two uh, twin, twin brothers. We, usually they come in twos. But um, uh, Esau and Jacob, they were the definition of sibling rivalry. Very different dudes who did not particularly get along. Esau was the older of the brothers. And man, he loved the outdoors. He loved to fish and hunt and hike and spit and stuff like that. Jacob, Jacob was a homebody. He loved to cook and craft and have meaningful um, conversations. So needless to say... In that particular culture, Esau became daddy's manly man, right? And, and Jacob became mom's sensitive son. These two guys did not get along. One of the perks of Esau having been born first as the older brother, he had the legal entitlement. He was legally entitled to the bigger portion of the family wealth when his father died. He would get the bulk of it. Not only that, but Esau was legally entitled to carry on the family name, which was a huge honor in that cultural context. When the record books were were shown, it would be Esau's name that carried the family legacy down through generations. But more than that, for Esau in particular, and he knew this, his family had the added honor Of being the family through which the Messiah would eventually be born. He had royal blood coursing through his veins. Eventually King David would sit on the throne from his family line. And eventually Jesus would come and eternally sit on his throne. And he would come through Esau's family line. This was an incredible honor until rashness. Ruined his life. Anyway, Genesis chapter 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, because that's what he enjoyed doing, Esau came in from the field, because that's what he enjoyed doing, and he was tired. I'm just asking you what comes out of your mouth when you're tired. Uh, Verse 30, and Esau said to Jacob, "Uh, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am Exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Red, suit, red, red. Um, verse 31. Jacob said, because he loved conversation, was super crafty. Sell me your birthright now. Oh, the family name? Sell it to me. Oh, the, 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 the larger portion of the family wealth? Sell it to me right now. And Esau, emotionally charged, a moment of passion, desperately wanted something, and he rashly said, I'm about to die. Kids, do you think Esau was about to die? No! He was not. And I'm saying that because I have a few kids who use this phrase all the time. I'm starving to death. No, you're not. I want to send them like on a 10-month mission trip somewhere of my choosing around the world. I'm about to die. 
can we go to Chick-fil-A? That's an hour away. So you, Cliff, you can speak to me. You are not about to die. Right. Anyway. Esau says rashly, because it's what we do. I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Jacob said, promise? Swear to me right now. Esau swore to him and he sold his birthright to his little brother, Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread. Esau didn't ask for bread. This is just a bonus. And some lentil stew. And he, Esau, ate and drank and rose and went his way. And in this way, Esau despised, gave away, destroyed his birthright. Emotionally charged moments. And he wanted something. He was tired. He was frustrated. And so he just spoke recklessly. He just lets the words fly. I don't care about my birthright. What good is that to me? I hate you, mom. I hate this family, right? I'm tired. I'm frustrated. You kids are never going to tired. I'm frustrated. So I just said it. Well, what about, I don't care about that. Which my kids will tell you is one of my favorite phrases when I'm frustrated. I don't care. Just wrecks his life. Sells his birthright over a bowl of soup. Can I tell you, by the way, I think there is coming a day when many of us in the church are going to look back and say, we did that over a bowl of politics, didn't we? It seemed that important to us at the time. And we said, what? (laughs) We destroyed what over that? Over a bowl of soup. That is, by the way, why you never hear it said. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It's Jacob whose name would become Israel and he would become a great nation and his descendants would be many and out of that nation would be born the Messiah of the world. And Esau's like, I don't care. I'm hungry right now. That's rash. That's what Solomon is describing as rashness will ruin your life. Reckless words will wreck your life. Life, Maybe not right away. I don't know how quickly it took Esau to realize the way his relationship with his brother was messed up. Relationship with his mom, his relationship with his birthright was ruined. Maybe not right away. But it will ruin your life. Right now your kids have to live at your house. But there's coming a day when they won't. They will get to choose. Right? 
And then we'll see how the rash words we as parents have spoken have ruined some of the relationship bridge between us. Maybe not right away. But eventually. I was so triggered by that person's political viewpoint. So I just posted that response online. And by the time my emotions calmed back down and I deleted it. They had seen it already. Our relationship has not been the same since. It may not happen right away. But rash words have a way of ruining things. She told me what she was struggling with. And she told me what she had done. And I was so emotionally disgusted that I spewed all of my strong words into that vulnerable space. And we've never trusted each other since. I ceased to be a safe place because of my rash response with my words. And I got excited about something. And so I just said right away, like, I'm in. I'm in. I want to be a part of that. You can count on me. And then when everything settled down, I'm like, I'm way too busy to be a part of that. And so I bailed on it. And so I've ruined my reputation by promising overly and delivering minimally. That's been Ruined. I was talking to a coach at some point who told me about a really talented player who came on campus and they did not offer this player a spot on their team. And it wasn't because of his skill. It was because in the heated moment of competition, in, in those moments, stuff would come out that proved to be very, very contrary to the culture. And so it brought about a tarnishing of reputation and an opportunity was... Missed because of that. Man, our rash words have ways of ruining the relationships around us by just breaking trust and and hurting um, people's feelings or, or making us an unsafe place. And so people stand at a distance from us. Or opportunities that are just ruined because of something you posted online because you were triggered. It is amazing how much in this cultural context an employer will pay more attention to the stuff you post online than the stuff you put in your resume. Nobody was upset. I didn't mean it. Which is part of Solomon's point. And more than anything else. If we are rash with our words, we ruin the opportunity to talk to people about Jesus. We just do. People are like, I'm sorry, I cannot listen to you tell me about love and about a savior who unconditionally gave his. I can't listen to you right now. You have ruined the opportunity to talk to me about Jesus. And listen, whatever else has been ruined, that becomes a central piece in the story of somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Solomon says, if you are rash with your words, you're wrecking your life, ruining opportunities. Um, I wonder what the people around you would say. I wonder what the people around me 
might say. It might be an awkward afternoon of finding out. How do you respond in those moments? The people closest to you will know if you're willing to listen. And then he gives the alternative. There is a better way. There is a better way. The first part of uh, verse 3, he says, those who guard their lips preserve their lives. There is an alternative. Those who guard their lips preserve their lives. A wise person guards their lips. A wise person guards their lips. Um, I grew up in Zambia and uh, at our home, we had a brick wall that surrounded the entire property. And then there was a steel gate at the front. Um, that's how many homes um, were. In fact, if you were richer, then you, your home would be surrounded by higher walls. And at the top of those walls would be spikes that you didn't want to mess with. And there, there would be a bigger steel gate. And there would be a security guard who was stationed at the gate 24 hours a day. I'm not saying it was the same guard, but there was a guard 24 hours a day. Because again, living in a poorer country, people would get to the place of desperation where they felt like, I got to do anything to survive. And if that means breaking it to someone's house to take this stuff that's what I'm going to do hence the guards so I'm like when I read that I think about a guard I think about a security guard that's not necessarily what uh, Solomon is talking about um, man a number of years ago I taught um, some really fun college classes uh, at a couple of campuses one was in Miami County a little bit south of us and one was um, Michigan City a little bit northwest of us and a uh, man for both of those classes um, it would take me about 25 minutes to get from the front door to the classroom where I taught 25 minutes I would get to the front door and there would be a security guard who would ask me a series of questions like my intentions, what do I want, what am I doing, and ask me to give some ID to prove that I was who I said I was. And if I passed that particular test, he would open that door and I would walk through and then there would be another door in front of me. And I waited until the door behind me closed and then the next person, the next door would have a couple of security guards and they would search me to make sure that I wasn't carrying anything, you know, um, questionable and if I was clear then they would open that door and I'd step through that door and then I'd stand with another still heavy intimidating looking door in front of me and then there would be another security guard and they would ask me a series of questions and they would check with the other people to make sure that I was okay and I was heard and then they would push a button and then that door would open and then I'd walk through that door and when that door closed there would be another door and when that door opened I'd step out into a yard and you're asking like what kind of prison college was this? It was a maximum security prison college. I taught two classes, one at Miami Correctional Facility, and the other one was at um, Michigan City's um, maximum security prison. A really, really fun classes. I really enjoyed them. But getting in was a trip on account of the security system. Um, it'll be interesting to you that those guards, as much as they made life difficult for me to get in, their primary job was actually to pay attention to who got out. If you think getting in was hard, oh, 
It's the getting out that was more complicated. Because the people in there were put in there for some severe reasons, right? Deemed a little bit of a menace to society kind of a situation. And so it became really important that we keep uh, these individuals where they're supposed to, to be. That's actually the picture that Solomon is using in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. Your lips are the gate. And you are the guard. Be very careful what you choose to let out. A wise person is very careful what they choose to let out. If words, especially in a heated moment, especially when my passions are engaged, especially when my emotions are high, Solomon would say, oh, no, 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 no. You better stand at that gate, be more curious, ask more questions. You better pat your words down. You better make sure they've gone through a parole board. You've got to figure out what it is that they're trying to do. Because once you let them out, they are really tricky to get back in. Once you let them out, they run the risk of starting to destroy the things around you. And you're going to get fired. So ask a few more questions. Run your words through a few more security checkpoints before you just release them. Guard your lips. You are the guard. Your words are... Just assume they're inmates. And your lips are the gate. And you know that is an applicable um, illustration because when you are frustrated or when you are tired or when you're upset or when you are hurt I'm just telling you be very suspicious of your words they are not trying to get out to do anything good or constructive or you got to be very suspicious of your words it is rare that you're really upset and your words are like let me out let me out I just want to bless them right now Solomon would say, no, guard your, guard your lips, because the lips are the gate. A couple of quick things. Number one, this means learning to push pause, learning to push pause. Being wise with your response with your words means learning to slow down, especially when you are triggered. Push pause. Make your words go through some security doors. And here are a couple of good doors. Uh, Door number one, words want to get out. Great time for you to pause and just ask as a security guard, like, um, what do you want to say, words? What do you want to say? Another great door is if they make it through, you're like, okay, I'll buzz you through. Um, why do you want to say that? Because I'm mad and I want to just, 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 just let this person have it. I want to let off some steam. I want to get something off my chest. Or sometimes you even say, I want to give them a piece of my mind. Like, stop giving people pieces of your mind. If you keep doing that, you're going to be dumber, right? Keep some of your mind. You need it, right? Why do you want to say it? And then maybe you go through a gate and ask the question to your words like, okay, how do you want to say this? 
man, I have messed up so often in the how. Like, I should have called you instead of texting. You needed to hear the tone of my voice. It was completely lost in translation. Or we should have sat down face to face. That was too important for me to send in an email. The how often matters. And I'm not just talking about the format of how, but how do I want to communicate to my child when I'm disappointed in something? That really matters. The how really matters. Ask your words some questions. Pat your words down. That's a good thing to do as you push pause. And a really, really good question about your words is when. When? When should I communicate this? When should I say it? I mean, right after the Roe v. Wade ruling, that's when you thought was the best time to say that? Right in the midst of the tension and the riots, that's when you thought was the best time to to say that. Right as your daughter is telling you, I just had a fender bender and I'm freaking out. That's when you thought the I told you so message was the best time. Right as she's telling you, like, I just heard that my mom is not doing very well. Like, that's when you thought was a good time to be like, will you please? No, that's a bad time. Right, push, pause, ask some questions. What do I want to say? Why do I want to say it? How do I want to say it? When do I want to say it? There is something beautiful about creating a little bit of space and making my words go through some checkpoints instead of just rashly and quickly responding. Um, Buy some time. Bite your tongue. The church, I think, will regain so much of its voice If we learn to slow down just a little bit. Do these words make me sound more or less like Jesus? And I'm telling you a lot of this starts in the home. Because we are most reckless with our words in the spaces where we feel most safe. Do these words make me sound more or less like Jesus? And could I share the gospel with you after I say this to you? Could I post about what Jesus has done right after the last post I posted? James says, be quick to listen and be really slow to speak. That's what wisdom looks like. Push pause. Slow down. This is not a personality type, by the way. This is not a personality type. This is a, a, a character. This is a, a, a choosing. You are the guard at the gate of your lips. You are responsible for the things that get out. Don't ruin your life with a reaction. Guard your lips. And the last quick thing is press pray. I know I did that. Push pause and press pray. That's how hard I work to serve all of you um, with alliteration, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Push pause. And while you're waiting and while you're running your words through security checkpoints, pray in the waiting. Pray in the waiting. This is such a beautiful thing to think about. 
But so often I'm like, I'm very frustrated and I just want to, 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 just, to, 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 to get it off my chest. And I just want to let this person have it. I just want to let this person have it. Let this person have it. And I love that the apostle Peter will say, cast your cares on Jesus. He'll have it. There is actually someone who's volunteered to have it. And prayer is learning to give it to him. This is my raw reaction. And this is my most frustrated thought. And I want to get this off my chest. And Jesus says, I'll take it. Press pray. Bring it to me. I'll take it. You can lay it at his feet. And it's beautiful to think. Beautiful to think that Jesus is the one who would take your most raw feelings. (laughs) That in his presence... He actually sitting in every single area of that particular prison facility. He knows what's behind this gate. He knows what's inside that gate. He knows what this person has done. There's nothing to hide from him. There is a beautiful place where you can actually just go in the woods and just have at it with him. Ah, I'm so mad and people so this. And Lord, my parents, they hurt my feelings so much. And I don't understand them. Why can't they be as cool? Can you please make them as cool as other parents? You can tell God anything. Which is a great thing to do, especially when the emotions are high. But more than that, it is a beautiful opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit is our spiritual legal counsel. And you don't have to worry about the hourly rates. Jesus has already paid the fee. The Holy Spirit is free to you. That you can actually go to the Holy Spirit and say, I don't know what to say. And I'm not sure why I want to say it. I'm not sure how to say it or when to say it. Would you please help? Would you please help? And in certain situations, you won't have time. Like... Um, excuse me, I just want to, um, I just want to go away for a variety of reasons. Some of you, it may be your situation at home, right? Where it's like, honey, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? I want to talk about it now. What are you thinking? Tell me your thoughts. What are you thinking? What are you thinking about right now? You're like, woman, give me some space. It is for all of our goods, right? No, but I want to hear it right now. Or you may be in a meeting, right? Where you don't have the luxury of leaving the meeting. You have to respond, but you're feeling triggered. Oh, spirit of the living God. Would you please run my words through your security checkpoints? And would you please give me the things that I should say this moment? Because I'm so heated and I don't trust what wants to come out. Spirit, would you please counsel me? Would you please give me words? And the Holy Spirit loves those prayers. Loves those prayers. My parents say to me, if I ask you a question, you need to answer me right away. So I have to answer her, Lord. So would you please give me wisdom in what to speak? Because right now I'm super upset and I want to say something very hurtful. Holy Spirit, would you help me in what to say? And the Spirit is so gracious in helping us. With our words, when we feel like it's just rash that wants to come out. It's just rashness and it's just a reaction that wants to come out. There's always a moment to say, Spirit of God, help me with this. I don't know whether you consider yourself wise with your words in the heated moments. But I know that there is a spirit who longs to heal and a spirit who longs to move and counsel and advise 
as we keep coming back to him. And I think that is the calling, even in the book of Proverbs, for the church to come back to God and lay in all your ways acknowledge him. In all your words acknowledge him. Would you please help me? And I trust the Spirit will do more in us than we could possibly begin to imagine, starting in our homes. And so, Father, I pray that even over the next number of days, as we push pause and as we press pray, that your Spirit would lead us and would soften us and would maybe silence us as many of us maybe take some time and realize I didn't need to say anything at all. Would you make us wise with our words? So that, Lord, as we speak on your behalf, as your representatives, our words would be aromas. Our words would be sweet. Our words would be fresh. Help us to be honest when we need to be and give us wisdom in the ways to do that in the most beautiful and meaningful ways. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your grace. And even now, Lord, I pray that you would heal relationships in this room that have been broken by rash words. I pray that parents would be restored to kids. I pray that spouses would be restored to each other. I pray, Lord, that you would even somehow miraculously heal reputations of those of us who've maybe made mistakes with our words. You alone can do it. You can turn graves into gardens. You can reverse the irreversible. And so we ask you to bring healing and restoration to many of the messes that we've made. And then send us down a new path of wisdom when it comes to the way we use our words. And I pray specifically for the kids in this room. May you raise up a generation that trusts your Holy Spirit to lead them as they live. Lord, may you raise up a generation that loves you more than we do. May you raise up a generation that goes further with you than we do. May you raise up a generation that speaks more loudly for Jesus than we do. May you do something beyond what we could possibly have imagined and done in this world through them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.